morning church, grab a Bible. I uh, hope you have one. Turn to James chapter 1. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open the scriptures for us. And uh, we're going to continue in our series in the book of James called Our Faith in Action. If you are uh, a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to see what God has to say. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, uh, one of those black Bibles, and you can grab it and turn to page 1071. And uh, as we start this morning, uh, as, we, as David read the text, we're coming to a text that uh, helps us consider uh, the trials of life. And I think all of us in the room, whether it was this week or last or maybe a month ago, we can identify with the brokenness of our world with the brokenness in our own families, the brokenness in our own souls, the, the hardship that comes uh, in this life, whether it's through sickness or death or persecution or loneliness or failure. We can all come today and, and hear from God's Word and we can feel what it says. And so this morning, as we walk through our text, I'm, uh, my prayer for us is that we understand, we understand the brokenness in our world. We understand that, that brokenness comes from our own sin. But in the midst of that, that we understand the reality of our world, we understand also a God who did not stay away. A God who did not leave us to our own, who loves us and cares for us. And how we may learn how to grieve and help others process this kind of life that we live. So as we walk through the text this morning, here's what I, I want us to see. Here's what I think is uh, the main idea of the text. James exhorts his readers to rejoice in trials through faith as they seek wisdom and boast in their hope. And if you are a disciple today, my prayer for us is that we come to this and we understand that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can walk and rejoice in these kind of trials. So if you are a disciple, here's what we need to know today. Faith drives us to trust God during suffering as we hold to the gospel. Faith drives us to trust God, to trust His character, to trust His nature, to trust His promises during suffering, during trials, during hardship. As we hold to the gospel, as we hold on to the truth that we have a God who sent His own Son into the world so that He may save us. A God who did not stay away, but instead entered into the brokenness and felt what we feel. How do we as disciples, as God's people, how do we have joy in suffering and trials and difficulties? As we look at James this morning, it doesn't have your normal intro to the letter with, a, with thanksgiving and prayer. 
But James gets straight to the point. He knows that his readers are in a difficult circumstance. He gets straight to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. In this section on suffering, this, you might think of faith in trials, James also highlights what it means to walk as a Christian in these kind of trials. Or he introduces wisdom, endurance, and faith or trust. And James does this to show us these are some of the key characteristics of the Christian life. And we'll see those come up through the book as we walk through it. And so this morning as we walk through the text, here's what I want us to see. I want to show you how faith helps us rejoice during suffering. How trusting God, our Father, strengthens us to preserve in these times. So, as we start here in verse 2, here is how faith does that. Faith knows the purpose of trials. Faith knows the purpose of trials. Look there, verse 2 with me again. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. James begins with a command. He tells us, he calls us to do something, and that something is to consider or that word consider is a way to think. He wants us to think a certain way. And we're supposed to think a certain way about suffering. This is not emotion that we think about suffering. It's not because of the suffering, but rather a, a different state of mind that we're called to have when suffering comes. Suffering must not be the initiator of this disposition, this mindset. This mindset must predate the suffering. This mindset must be ready when suffering comes. James says that we must consider, how do we, how do we need to think about it? He says, consider it a great joy. This is a pure joy. Unhindered, untainted joy. Now why can we consider suffering joyful? How can we consider these kinds of experiences and these trials joyfully? Although suffering may come, this is not something we should go looking for though. We don't go and look for these occasions. But we are joyful when the occasions come. I think right now in our, our time and our place, it can be easy for us to bring hardship on ourselves. That's not what James is saying. It's not because of foolishness. It's not because of our own hearts or our own tongues. It's because what James is talking about is because the world is one against Christ and a world that has been broken because of sin. And these uh, things do come at us. And we must not go after them. But we must also understand that they are coming after us. James also addresses us as brothers and sisters. I mean, we are fellow believers. We have faith in Jesus Christ. And notice, though, that this faith in Jesus Christ does not shelter us from suffering or trials. It does not shelter us. It does not keep us. We do not get a pass. We do not get to go down the hall with our non-suffering passes. We will experience the same kind of brokenness 
that everybody else does. We must not limit this to persecution. Uh, James has this idea of sickness. As I said earlier, sickness and loneliness, depression, even failure, brokenness, and, I, and yes, persecution. These believers who James writes to first are suffering persecution. But we must not think that we're going to be sheltered from this. Don't be fooled by the health and wealth gospel. There are some on TV, there are some even uh, not that far away that would tell you that if you just have faith, you won't suffer. Or if you're suffering, then you must not have faith. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And if you, if we begin to give ourselves to that, then we will never have joy in suffering. We will never be able to walk as Christ walked. Because He also suffered for us. The concern for James is not that we will be able to get out of suffering. The, the, what James is worried about is how do we respond in this kind of suffering. As I've been able to, to coach over the years and what I've noticed, and obviously a game is not suffering, it's, it's fun, but there are times of adversity. And so we can, we can learn or we can think about how that adversity can shape us. And what, I, what I've told many teams and players over the years is that the measure of a person is not what they do in the moment, but how they respond. And for James, he is most concerned with, I know that this has been difficult. I know you have all this pressure on top of you. Now, how are you going to respond in light of the Savior who hung on a cross for you? How are you going to respond to your Father who sent His Son into the world for you? Are you going to respond with joy? We have to ask, why in the world would we respond this way? Why could we even consider it a great joy? Look there at verse 3. Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. James, he shows us how we need to consider and why we need to consider it a great joy. Because James knows and is trying to tell us that these trials, these present sufferings, that test our faith, they produce endurance. That's why. They are not for nothing. He even says that you know. right? We know the purpose. We understand the content to actually be joyful. We know the purpose of trials while we're clinging to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That this Lord is for us. As Nate just read, He is for you. He is for me. And this truth in the Gospel is why we talk about, when we talk about mature disciples or people who confess the truth of that Gospel. Of a Gospel of a God who came for us. Suffering tests our faith. It tests our trust in God. And in these moments, or even in these Seasons of trial, we must cling to God who saved us. The God who cares for us. It's in these times of testing that God uses 
to make us more like Jesus. And we call this sanctification. We call this that God, even though in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of suffering and loneliness and pain and sickness, God is faithful to use all of that to make us look more like Jesus. And why do I put our eyes on Jesus? Because He is the one who came and lived a perfect life and and the one who should have never experienced pain and suffering. But He did. We have a Lord who stepped off of His throne in glory and stepped into the mess and the muck of our world and gave His life for you and me. In many ways, He probably took more pain and suffering that we, in our present time and place, may ever feel. He knows. But we also have a God who sent Him into this world. Now, understand James is not saying that God is the one giving this trial. God is good to use them. He is not going to waste them. He will make sure that His people look like His Son when, the, when it's all said and done. And the product of this testing, though, is endurance. Right? It's steadfastness. It's perseverance. The, the, probably the, the best sport analogy is that of cross country or, uh, or maybe a marathon. Right? You can continue. James has this picture of us carrying a burden on our shoulders for a, a lengthy time. That we can continue for however long suffering comes, for however long that sickness lasts, for however long the persecution may be there. We can last because we know the testing of our faith produces endurance. Church, we have a world that wants to tell us when things are hard, then you're doing something wrong or you need to stop. It should be easy. It should be easy. But if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And so you must not buy into the lie that everything is easy. You must not buy into the lie that your job should just be the easiest thing in the world. You must not buy into the lie that caring for your children should be the easiest thing in the world. You should not buy the lie that your suffering or your sickness should be easy. Because the world wants us to think that. And when we begin to think that this should be easy, we begin to doubt our good Father. We begin to doubt what He says and what He has done. But James, he knows. He knows. Look at verse 4. And let this endurance have its full effect so that you may be what? Mature and complete. Lacking Nothing. The testing of our faith through suffering can produce endurance, which then ultimately produces maturity. James tells us that this endurance is to have full effect. He's exhorting us to let the process take place. He's exhorting us to trust God in the midst of these trials and have faith. And the God who saved us will also be the God who will make us into the mature disciples that He's called us to be. To grow us into the people that we are to be. And James, he uses these three different phrases to describe that kind of journey. 
Right? He, he shows what the end goal is. He says mature and complete. They are the positive terms. And then James uses a, a third term, which is negative, lacking nothing. There is no aspect of our lives that will not be grown by God if we trust Him and let endurance have its full effect. We will be grown by God during trial. We must let God use them. We must let endurance have this kind of effect on us. This is a command from James inspired by the Spirit. Our faith must drive us to trust God even though we do not understand. We don't know why these sufferings take place. James doesn't tell us. He doesn't answer that for us. But we know that God is using them. James is very clear that he is using these. And as I told you last week that James, this book is written probably before the half century mark of the first century, so in the late 40s. Did you know, as I said last week, that these Christians were suffering persecution, they were being kicked out of their land, that things were being taken from them? Did you know by the end of the first century, there were the number is about 10,000 Christians that were left at that point? If, now, if you read the book of Acts, you're going to get a total probably a little more than than 10,000. James writes a book at the beginning of the, one of the worst persecutions that Christians have faced from Rome. And this, this, we, this is our history that there were only about 10,000 people left who believed in Jesus Christ within the first century. What got them through? How in the world did we get here today with this being a movement, a global movement of God's people all around the world? Because they let endurance have its full effect. They let the gospel shape how they lived in such a way that they could trust God no matter what. James is writing to people who very may well have given their life for, for, for the Lord within a decade. Within 20 years or so. We... We come to this as God's people and understand that this is the kind of cost it may come to us. Now, I must also stress to you that these verses do not claim to teach that everything that happens to us is somehow good. That's not what James says. James is not saying that everything is good. He's not saying that, every, that we know we should rejoice, we should let this process take place because we know even though it hurts that it's good. That's not what James is saying. Even though we do not understand why our God lets these things happen here and He lets us walk in these trials, we know that the glory of our God, which we will stand in and be, we will be glorified with Him, that will outweigh any suffering that we can possibly go through. That's really hard to think about. It's even harder to give ourselves to that. But when we trust God and have faith in Him, that's when we're able to see the bigger picture. Church, one of our jobs as your pastors is to ready you for the day that suffering hits your front door. Some of you have already gone through things. Some of you are currently going through 
suffering, whether it's sickness or physically or family things. One of our jobs is to, to prepare you to endure that well. That you have God's Word, that you know it and you trust it. You have God's people around you to walk in these trials that you know the end goal is that you will become like Jesus. And yes, I pray it doesn't happen, but maybe there's a time when persecution comes to us. My job, Pastor Ryan's job, is to ready us for those days. We can only do that by pointing you to Jesus. I have no other help. I have no other tips. I know nothing else other than to lay the truth of Jesus Christ at your feet and for you to pick that up and for you to hold tightly to that. And nothing else in the world other than Jesus. Trials and suffering and difficulty, we will not be protected from them. We live in a world that's broken by sin. We have a God who sent His Son into this world to save us, who suffered for us. Which means we also have a God who understands our suffering. Who understands the loss of a dear friend. Who understands betrayal. Who understands physical pain in a way that we may not even understand. We have a God who understands. Who is with us and for us. Faith drives us to trust this God. Who knows our suffering, but can also use it for our good. To give purpose even in difficulty. Even in hard times. Let's continue to verse 5 and see... The third way, faith helps us rejoice. Look there, verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom. Secondly, faith seeks prudence in trials. Faith seeks prudence in trials. We, prudence for wisdom, right? We understand in the midst of these trials, it's natural to turn to other things, to other people. James makes a hard transition to wisdom on purpose. James is clear that we need this kind of wisdom to step into these hard times. Wisdom is extremely important for the Christian who is going through suffering. And faith drives us to trust God and see where true wisdom comes from even during hard times. James addresses this as, unfortunately, as people who lack that wisdom. Right? If anyone lacks it. So it's very possible, and I know me, that we lack this wisdom to not have it. This wisdom, this kind of wisdom comes from God. Something that we do not have on our own. Something we need. Something we lack. We cannot make up in this area on our own or with human effort. You may think that you know better. You may think that you can do better. But at the end of the day, it will not help us. Instead, we, understand, we need to understand that our weakness is actually what glorifies the Lord. That our weakness, we can then go to Him in these hard times. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He wrote this, but he said to me, that is God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 
We don't have it. And we do not have the answers. But we know our God who does. This wisdom's from Him. And it's critical for enduring hard times, for trials. And this wisdom is knowing how the gospel impacts our lives. That's what wisdom is. How does the gospel change our lives? How does the gospel cause us to live? How does our faith get put into action? And our faith may never be more in action when we are suffering. To show us, to show others that we trust God. This wisdom helps us live out what we believe. To, to believe what is true, like which is James' whole point. That we not just know it, but we live it. It also helps us live in a morally upright way before God. When we find wisdom, we find the keys to Christian living. When we find wisdom, we hold the gospel even in suffering. If God desires us to be whole, mature, perfect, which He does, as James has already said, then wisdom must be present in our lives and maturity will only be achieved if we seek this wisdom. I often wish I knew how to live this way. I, I personally have to go after the Lord in this way. I want to live the gospel out which shows the world that I really trust God. How do we do that? James says he should ask God. Who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. And it will be given to him. James lays it out for us. If we need wisdom. And we want it. Then we seek by praying. We seek by asking of God. There's only one avenue. And this asking though is in, a thought, in thoughtful prayer. We can go to our Father and ask for wisdom because it's His wisdom. And He gladly, gladly gives it away. James says that God is generous and gives ungrudgingly, meaning that He is glad. He wants to give these things to us. But this word generous is a little different than what we normally think about. It's a meaning that we're kind of unfamiliar with. It has this idea of he is single-mindedly, he is sincere in what he's giving. He's not going to hold any of it back. His focus is to help his children walk in these hard times. And God does not hold this wisdom back from us. And so James says, ask him and he will give it to you. Jesus says something similar. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock. And the door will be open to you. This is where we must go to the Lord together and say, please show us how to hold on to the gospel and how the gospel changes how we live. Church, as God's children, we should not hesitate in going to God for this kind of wisdom. Why? Because God gives it sincerely. And also, God does not belittle us for asking. He does not condemn us for not having this kind of wisdom. I've heard this illustration over the years. I think it's beautiful. If we should not hesitate, then how should that characterize how we go to the Lord? As His children, we can go to Him at any point in time. Who is the only person 
that would dare wake up the king for a, for a simple glass of water in the middle of the night? His children. His children would. The, the guards wouldn't. The servants wouldn't. The people wouldn't. But his children would. And they would go to him and ask. And that's the kind of relationship that we have with our God. That he will, will give it gladly. Maybe not like us sleeping, you know, sleeping our eyes, but he will give it gladly in those hard times. We must ask in these ways. The circumstances in our lives, especially suffering, should drive us to God in that way. Who's in control, who can already help, who already knows. But this suffering should cause us to press into God, not drive us away from Him. It's so easy for us to begin to blame and be angry and be bitter, but in fact, what God wants from us is none of that. And He wants us to come to Him and hug Him. And for Him to hold us in these hard times. He is the one who cares and provides and strengthens us. He may not remove the trial, but He will be there. And He does know. And to James, He says though, Verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting. James qualifies the asking. The praying should be done in a certain way. James gives a condition. God's people must ask in what? In faith. We believe that God will give us wisdom when we ask for it. Right, we have to actually believe this. James now sets up a, a contrast between doubting and believing. There's this idea that we have a continued confidence in the identity and nature of God. That's what James means when we ask without doubting. It's not that we never question God. I don't think that's what James is getting at. I think the mindset, though, is that we don't trust His character. We don't believe that God is big enough to handle the situation. It's not that we ask questions. God is big enough to answer our questions. Whether it's about believing in Christianity to begin with, whether it's about trusting Him in everyday life, whether it's about a situation, God can handle our questions. He can handle why would you do this. He can handle how are you going to do this. But it, but it must come down to, do we believe that He is actually good enough to do it and powerful enough to do it? We must not question His character or His love for us. Or who He is. There are times when we don't understand. There are times when we're frustrated at the world, our families, our circumstances, our own brokenness. But that cannot lead us into questioning who our God is. Instead, it must drive us to Him. And to trust Him. We may ask Him why. We may ask Him how. But that's because we trust Him. Not the other way around. And to explain this doubting, James gives, gives us an illustration. Look there, halfway through 6. For the doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. James shows us that doubting the character of God will end in unstableness. 
A person should not expect to receive what they've asked for because they don't actually trust the God that they're asking. This is their consequence to their doubting that they will not be given what they've asked for. And then James, he coins the phrase double-minded to express the opposite position from God and His children. Those who are double-minded, those who are unstable, those who are doubting, do not, are not consistent with God's people or God Himself. They are uncertain. And James explains this, this kind of person in the same way that Jesus explained this person in Matthew 6.24. They want this wisdom, but they serve two masters. They, they don't they don't actually, they're not committed to it. Right? One day they go to the world for wisdom, one day they go to God for wisdom. And they're uncertain in all their ways. And they will not be given wisdom from God because they have not given themselves over to trusting God fully. Wisdom shows us that we, in our faith, can trust God. We can trust His character. But that must cause us to go to Him. Even in the midst of the worst kinds of sickness and trial and suffering. We need this wisdom. We need it to endure suffering. But also, this third way that faith gives us the opportunity to be joyful, we also need a faith that has the perspective for trials. That's our third way this morning. That faith has a perspective for trials. And it can be extremely difficult for us to lift up our eyes in those circumstances of suffering. To get our eyes off of our own pain and off of our own hurt. And it's easy for us to focus on ourselves and make the details the most important thing. And we, we begin to weep in our own misery. But James helps us here by connecting our faith to our perspective, connecting it what God is going to do. What we believe about what God is going to do. To do this, James gives us two examples. To lift our eyes up off of ourselves and on to, the, to an eternal perspective, James gives us another illustration. Look there at verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. James, he first takes the poor brother which many of these Jewish Christians are poor. They've been kicked out. They don't own land anymore. They're be, they, they are being persecuted. So he addresses them in this way. While also giving this illustration, they've lost everything. Right? He talks to them and he tells them, boast. Boast not in your poverty. Boast and take pride in Jesus' exaltation. First of all, boasting, I was taught, can be a pretty negative thing. But only when we're boasting the wrong thing. James is really saying pride in who God is. What He's going to do. To rejoice and praise God. To have pride in who our God is and what He is going to do. And this boasting, he connects it to the exaltation of Jesus. James is lifting up our eyes to get him off ourselves and to look at the Lord who in His suffering was killed, gave His own life for us, 
but was exalted as Lord over the universe, as Paul says in Philippians 2. James lets us see the bigger picture. That even our Lord who suffered in this way is exalted. James tells the poor brother or sister to boast in their exaltation, their reigning with Jesus. He doesn't tell them to change their circumstance. He doesn't tell them to go get out of it. He says, boast in Christ. That is the only thing that you can put your eyes on that will help you in this circumstance. This is the life to come though. This is us with the Lord whenever He makes all things new. So our hope is not in this world. It's not in these things. It's not in our money or in our stuff. It's not in what we have. It's not in any of that. It's in Jesus who has been exalted as Lord over all things. But James, he turns then to the wealthy brother. Look there, verse 10. But let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. Now, at first glance, as we read this, it could be a little confusing. James doesn't say the wealthy brother. Is James talking to a non-believer who's wealthy? I think this is, a, this is a wealthy brother, a wealthy Christian who has the things that he needs. And so I think that because of the context. James is specifically writing to Jewish Christians. He's writing to brothers and sisters, which he uses that phrase 15 times in the letter. So I think this person is a Christian, which helps us understand what James is saying. Instead of boasting in worldly possessions and money and stuff, we don't boast in any of that. We boast in our humiliation and laying down our own life just like our Lord did. What did Jesus say? Whoever wants to come after me must pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. We must actually lay our own lives down. So what James does is he, for the poor, he says, think about what God is going to do in the future. And for those who have what they need and who, are, who have more than what they need, he says, don't boast in that. Boast in what God has already done. Boast in the Lord who came and gave His life for you. Our perspective must be this kind of eternal perspective. One that will matter long after we're dead and gone. After this world has been burned up and after it's been made new again. An eternal perspective helps us have joy in the midst of trials. We can focus on the salvation that we've received. We can focus on others professing that salvation, giving their lives to Jesus. We can lift our eyes up to love one another, each other in trials, bearing burdens. Sharing hardship together. Sharing good times together. Loving one another. But also sharing the gospel. If this is our eternal perspective, although we are called to serve one another, our perspective must be to the poor, boast in your exaltation in Christ. For the wealthy, do not get caught up in this world and its money. And we help them understand to know that the gospel speaks to both of us. Not, it's not just good news for the poor. It's hard news for the rich. But it keeps us focused on what matters. 
He shows us what that looks like. Now, James does this again. He provides another illustration. And four timeless truths are there at verse 11. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, it dries up the grass, and the fire of the flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. God ordains this process. That's what James is saying. This is what happens to the flower. It's beautiful, but it perishes. In the same way, James says, that the rich person is no different. God has ordained the same thing, the same process. The rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Literally, the rich will pass away while pursuing their business activities. While trying to gain more money to steward their stuff, they will pass away during their business ventures. Our perspective must not be on this world. To have wisdom, to trust God, means that our perspective is lifted onto Him. And when we get our eyes off of ourselves, we get them onto God, onto His Word, onto uh, praying to Him, on meditation. We, we actually give time to Him. But it also, this kind of perspective gets it onto others. Right? It gets it onto how we help others during this kind of suffering. How we share in this suffering. How we talk to one another about this very deal. It changes who we are. It's this faith in God that causes us to tell the nations of how beautiful and how wonderful He is. It's the same faith that drives us to go down the street and tell our neighbors that Jesus loves them. It's the same gospel that goes down the street and to tell people who think they need nothing, don't boast in these things because it will be taken away. It helps us. It's this faith that drives us to share the gospel. It's this faith in these trials that demonstrate that gospel to others. This faith that helps us love, that helps us go and be joyful. Joy right now in this particular time may be one of the most, one of the best apologetics for the gospel. Because we we are living in a world that's depressed and anxious. We're living in a world that's hard, uncertain times, maybe even untrusting. But our joy in a God that has given us everything will show the world that this is what really can change you. This is what changed us. Our faith must drive us to God to trust Him even in the midst of these trials. We know that our, that our Heavenly Father is good. We know that He desires our good. He desires us to be like Christ. We should encourage us why? Because our Lord sits on His throne and Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 and other places that we will reign with Him. We must see the bigger picture. We must know and seek the wisdom that only comes from Him. We must understand the purpose of these trials. In these trials, may we seek God, ask for wisdom in prayer. May we rejoice in knowing the purpose of those trials trials and may our eyes be lifted so that we can persevere no matter what comes to our doorstep would you pray with me this morning god i ask you to make 
us aware of what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in our lives so that we can go and trust you, so that we can run after you. God, for, for the person in this room who is like, I, I can't go to God. He doesn't want me. Will you press on them that you are desiring them to come to you? For the brother or sister who is doubting today, will you reassure them through your word, through prayer, through, through us as your people? Would we reassure them today? God, we don't know when suffering comes. We don't know how long it will be. Will you help us? Will you use our faith to drive us to you so that we understand the purpose, we have wisdom, and that we have the right perspective moving forward? I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.